Welcome to Pocket Fiction by Steve Cook. Noctis Point, Chapter 27. The soft screen speaker chimed. Ariadne looked up from the report she was reading and studied the screen. It was one of the many displays she had at her workstation. Tonight, most of them were showing newscasts. With a gesture, she muted them all and tapped answer on the active screen. The red triangle logo of the PO appeared, rotating slowly, and Ariadne quickly activated the voice scrambler. Good evening, Shrike, came the voice of the liaison. I have something for you. Oh, do tell, Ariadne replied, taking a sip of coffee. It was good and strong, the last thing that Sarah had done before going home for the evening. I could do with some good news. Malcolm Briggs, the survivor from the terrorist attack at the Dimlands Com Centre? He's woken up. Ariadne leaned forward. Is he taking visitors? He can speak. The coma robbed him of some of his physical abilities, like walking, but his memory seems relatively unimpaired. Ariadne frowned and leaned closer to the screen. The princess has taken a personal interest in this case, she said. She'll want to be informed, and she's requested that she be the one to talk to Briggs. Silence came over the airwaves for a moment, and then the liaison's voice, perfectly neutral. Shall I arrange a security detail for Her Highness? Ariadne shook her head and opened her mouth to say no, then paused. Five days distant, the memory of being held prisoner by the rogue psych Rasputin Ternevsky was still fresh, and they hadn't been able to track him down. Yes, she said reluctantly. All P.O. Have them meet her in the skimmer bay in half an hour. Of course, Shrike, the liaison said, and dropped the connection. Ariadne jumped up, nearly spilling her coffee, and moved into the bedroom. The blinds were closed, the room warm and well lit, but no matter how many lights blazed, it was difficult to get past the feeling of her home being invaded. As she changed, Ariadne looked back over the week. The Battersea Munitions Depot had remained unmolested, and there had been no corroborating evidence that Hill had been telling the truth. Coordinator Tenevsky was a hoary old bastard, but he was also apparently unconnected to any of the events over the past month and a half. Ariadne's slick suit was the first thing to come out of the wardrobe, and, naked, she stepped onto it. It slid up her body, covering everything, banishing the cold. Over that, she donned trousers and a shirt, buttoned up to hide the suit. A new needler went into a small purse that she slung over her shoulder, along with a soft screen, a stylus, and a credit chip. She looked at the subvoc earrings, the subtle connectors that would allow her to talk to Sarah, then left them on the side. Leaving the apartment fully lit, she left and walked through the palace towards the skimmers. It was difficult to explain how things were with Sarah, she decided. She hadn't shared the details of what Rasputin had done to her, of the role Sarah's form had played, and Sarah herself hadn't pressed for answers. But it was impossible not to notice the hurt look on her face when Ariadne distanced herself when she dismissed her handmaid as if she were any other palace worker. Ariadne sighed and pushed the problem to one side as the doors to the skimmer bay swished open. Five PO officers, two men and three women, wearing military-grade slick suits and mirrored helmets, were waiting for her. A sixth, a man, was in the pilot seat of a sleek black skimmer designed for combat. This is a bit much, Ariadne thought, but she simply smiled and said, Good evening, officers. 
The lead figure, a woman, clicked her heels and saluted. Good evening, Your Imperial Highness. Please step inside the transport. As Ariadne took her seat, the other PO officers filed in around her. It was a tight fit, and Ariadne pushed down the wave of claustrophobia that threatened to overwhelm her. You are a princess, she thought to herself, and it was her father's voice saying it. Remember that. The skimmer ride was almost silent, the only noise coming from the whine of the engines and the sound of wind rushing past. None of the PO offered any comment, and Ariadne was content to try and form some semblance of logical questioning in her head. So many of the assumptions they had made so far had paid off, but the investigation had hit a brick wall when it reached the coordinator, which wasn't entirely surprising. Anyone that powerful, that well-connected, would make sure that his tracks were covered to the highest degree. There was a slight bump as the skimmer touched down on the hospital roof, and the doors opened to let in the cold night air. The moon was high in the crisp winter sky, and all of London could be seen. The faintest touches of smog still graced the streets below the tall skyscrapers, streetlights and bright neon dimly visible. The night was yet young, and Ariadne knew that if she were to leave the hospital, walk the streets, she would be immediately submerged in a torrent of fast living, loose morals and endless highs, both legal and illegal. One of the PO officers was holding open the rooftop access door, and she walked inside. As they moved to follow her, she held up a hand. Wait here, please. I won't be long. Your Highness, the man at the door said, but she shook her head. People are sleeping. This is an unofficial visit, and no one knows I'm here. I said wait. Without waiting for a response, she moved down the stairs, following signs for intensive care. The ward was quiet, the faint bleeping sounds of life-giving machines mixing with gentle snores. Instructing the PO to stay in the corridor, Ariadne followed the duty nurse down the rows of beds until they reached one with curtains around it. Inside, a lamp was illuminating the bed and its occupant, a middle-aged man with thinning grey hair. His face was liver-spotted, seeming pale in comparison to the pillows against which he rested. Ariadne sat on the chair by his bed and took out her soft screen. Malcolm Briggs, she ventured. Yes, Highness, he replied, his voice slightly slurred. I would get up, but... Uh... Of course, she said, nodding. Please don't feel that this is anything other than a quick, informal chat. You want to know about Tangram Way, he said. Ariadne nodded. The comms centre, yes. What happened? It was no comms centre, he said, talking over her. That was just the cover. Faint alarm bells began to ring in the back of Ariadne's mind. Of course. Damn, I feel stupid. Do tell, she said, feeling her cheeks redden. I'm a genetic scientist. Tangram Way was a laboratory designed to create bioweapons for the war. More pieces of the puzzle fell into place in Ariadne's head. Something designed to kill them all? Genocide. Briggs nodded. We were close to a successful formula. Something using gas delivery. Non-lethal to humans, but very deadly to Jovians. Their biology is unique to our own, which makes things easier. Who gave you orders? Who funded you? The Emperor himself established the centre. Shortly after the war started, funds were allocated through a variety of low-importance avenues. Ariadne went cold. Not only was he prepared to annihilate an entire species, but he had been actively planning for it from the beginning. 
She put her soft screen down on the bed, hands shaking slightly. This explains everything, she said quietly. Father didn't want to destroy the moons. He was hoping some of the research could be salvaged. That's the only reason why he delayed. And I thought it was because I had convinced him otherwise. She shook her head. And when Coordinator Ternevsky ordered its destruction, he did so knowing that Father would have to step up the attack, leading to him looking foolish when the machine protected the Jovians, at least in private. But what's the next step? Tanevsky's coup here on Earth, but up there on the front lines. We're losing the war on two fronts. Coordinator Tanevsky visited us a few days before the bombing, Briggs said suddenly. He looked furious. I'm not surprised. A bioweapon could have completely taken out the Jovians and his off-world support. Ariadne stood up. You've been incredibly helpful, Mr. Briggs. Doctor he said with a small smile. But not to worry, Highness. It sounds as though you have enough on your mind. Ariadne nodded, then bade him good night. As she walked back to the skimmer, her mind burned with the desire to call Sarah, to tell her everything and clear the air so that they could work out their next move together. Whatever it was, they needed to be off Earth. If Coordinator Tunevsky thought that Ariadne could work out his plot, then she would be his next target. He was aiming at the top job, and she'd just be collateral damage. On the roof, the skimmer was already going through its warm-up cycle. The woman in the pilot's seat bent over the instruments. Ariadne had jumped up and buckled herself in before she realised anything was wrong. Wasn't it a man piloting the skimmer? Suddenly, the skimmer jumped directly upwards, leaving the rest of the PO officers on the roof. The ground dropped away at an alarming rate, and the engines whined as they were forced to bank more sharply than they were designed to. The door, still open, yawned threateningly as the wind blasted at her. Ariadne fumbled for her needler, not even sure she could shoot the pilot, and then cursed as the wind ripped the bag from her hands. Her hair was a tangled mess blowing in her face, and she cleared her eyes just long enough to see the pilot look back. Ariadne saw her own face distorted and grotesque in the mirrored visor. Then the skimmer's nose plunged down as they began to fly directly into the ground. Frantically, Ariadne tore at the roof of the skimmer, where the parachutes should be. Nothing. She slapped at the buckle, undoing the belt that held her in place. The sudden gusting wind from the open door immediately sucked her out. The skimmer, still accelerating, plunged past her towards the ground. Turning over and over, Ariadne quickly put her arms by her side, legs together, trying to ignore the ground. Too close, too close! She shouted, Suit! Wingsuit program, Ariadne 4! She brought her arms and legs out, thin black webbing now stretching between them, and gasped in pain as the sudden deceleration wrenched at her. Then a massive explosion, tinged in green flames, burst up from the ground. The skimmer's demise was sudden and too close, and Ariadne realised that she was still travelling too quickly as the direction of her flight took her in between two buildings. The ground raced up, hard and unyielding, and she braced for an impact that would, at best, break her legs. At the last moment, she shouted, Suit! Brace for impact! The smart polymers that made up the suit sloughed off in an instant and oriented themselves around her feet and legs, cushioning the blow. Still, though, she struck the ground with a jolt that knocked her breath out of her, and then she was rolling, tumbling over and over. When all was still, Ariadne blinked to try and clear her head. A small part of her brain took an accounting, bruising, lacerations to arms and face, possible concussion. She climbed to her feet tapping at the small tab on the slick suit that would make it cover her entirely. A big man, Tri-D tattoos dancing on his arms, jogged up. 
She was on a quiet part of a small street, but even here there was someone close enough to see what was going on. Are you okay? He called. She looked at him. Had he seen her? Did he know who she was? She shook away the last of her shock and turned, running down the street. Hey! The man called, but she was gone, leaving the burning skimmer far behind and heading to the only place she wanted to be. Sarah. You've been listening to chapter 27 of my novel, Noctis Point. If you've enjoyed this, why not check out stevecookfiction.com, where you'll find more episodes and blogging about writing.